You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on Old Testament characters, now moving on to Cain and Abel. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Old Testament Premium Podcast 2 on Cain and Abel. Warm greetings from Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm recording today's lesson and where our family lives. Last time, we looked at Adam and Eve. We saw there are many lessons that apply to us. We pick it up in chapter 4 as we read about the first of their offspring, Cain and Abel. Chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Whereas in chapter 3, the first couple are disobedient, they are ejected from Eden. In chapter 4, we see that life goes on. They begin to build a family. In chapter 5, we see that there are actually many sons and daughters, but in accord with typical Old Testament usage, Only the the boys are usually mentioned. And so they have Cain and they have Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, And he killed him. We see two brothers bring two sacrifices. We're not told why one was inferior to the other. And that's really not even integral to the story. The important thing is the way Cain reacted when challenged. When the Lord commends Abel but does not accept Cain's offering... Cain is filled with negativity. He's filled with negativity, with with jealousy. He's consumed. He cannot handle this. He cannot bear to come in second place. Cain is an interesting character. And to be honest, every time I read Genesis, I guess I've read it, must have read it 50 times by now, I, I read about Cain and I see a bit of me in there. And sometimes I see a lot of me in there. I think it's very important as we read the Bible not to simply express shock or worse, just understanding while distancing ourselves from these characters. They have a lot to teach us through their strengths and through their weaknesses. Yes, we, we do connect with Cain. Cain has the original Hebrew name Cain, and perhaps that has some significance. It means spear as the weapon, uh, but I, I think that's probably over-interpreting to, to try to, to, uh, to, to base anything on 
the, the original word, but his brother is probably a different situation. Hevel in Hebrew, Hevel, H-E-V-E-L, means vapor. Vapor, like a mist. Uh, Job 7.16 and Psalm 39, verse 5, are other passages that use this word. And really, he is like a vapor. He appears in verse 2. He's murdered in verse 8. He comes and goes, playing a very brief part on the stage. It reminds us that we are vapor. James 4. In James 4, the brother of the Lord encourages us to make our decisions with God. Not to simply assume, because life is short. Abel dies soon. Cain is left. Let's, uh, let's continue now uh, to read in verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Let us pause there. Cain is challenged by the Lord for his action. Oh, this is so destructive. Look what he's done. Look what jealousy has led him to. The same kind of jealousy perhaps we saw in Sarah as she drives out Hagar, her maidservant, or Joseph's brothers, when they are consumed with jealousy and they sell him into slavery. Oh, we do relate to I remember as a seven-year-old getting into a fight with my five-year-old brother, Steve. We were arguing about a toad. Yes, an amphibian in a woodpile. I wanted to play with it. No, he wanted to play with it. He threatened me. I picked up a log. I brought it down on top of his skull. He was bleeding. He was screaming. I ran away in fear. I hid in a bathroom. And I remember my grandmother coming to me. Now, she didn't say, where is your brother Steve? Uh, she wasn't, she didn't say that, but she did something. She did say something like, what have you done? Your brother is gone to the hospital. He's bleeding. You've hit him. You were jealous. This was, this was a terrible thing. And I felt so guilty as a seven year old. We did go to church on Sundays when I was younger. And I remembered the story of Cain and Abel. And I felt like a murderer. I felt like I was the murderer. I was. You see, when sin is at our door, crouching, we must master it. See, in verse 7, it says, it desires to have you, but you must master it. Reminds us a little bit of 1 Peter 5.8. You know, Satan is prowling around. Here, I think sin is personified as a crouching animal. Interestingly, those words in verse 7, you must master it, are identical to the words in chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, uh, your desire, Eve, will be for your husband and he will rule over you. But it's the same wording. And when we're faced with temptation, we must get a grip. We've got to stop making excuses. We've got to behave responsibly and maturely. The Lord confronts Cain. Notice he asks him questions. Earlier, he had asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Not as though God didn't know the answer. But here, he asked Cain several questions. Why are you angry? Verse 6. Where is your brother Abel? Verse 9. What have you done? Verse 10. Jesus asked questions. Similar questions. 
He asked a why question to Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked Legion, what is your name? He asked the Samaritan leper, whom he healed of leprosy, where are the other nine? Cain gets all three questions. Why? Where? What? And despite the loving and much-needed interrogation, Cain fails the test. He is not honest. He does not do what is right. Now, we continue in verse 11. You are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment's more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be, a, I will be hidden from your presence, and I will be a restless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What we actually see here, just as we did in the previous chapter, is God's grace. This is the grace of God. In the old law, murder required a serious penalty, the death of the murderer. We'll see that later in chapter 9 of Genesis. I'm making no comment about New Testament times. We live in a different situation. But in the Old Testament times, technically, Cain could have died for this. But he doesn't die. He doesn't die. The Lord puts a mark on him to protect him, to show, I suppose, that he does belong to God's people or or the, the righteous family. But he puts some kind of mark of protection on him so that those who find him will not exact vengeance. Perhaps those would be descendants of Abel, who would be honor-bound to protect the family's integrity by, by punishing Cain or his descendants, you know, the old blood feud. So he doesn't die. There's a mark of protection, and he's still able to build a family line. Now, we will dodge the question of where he found his wife. Again, that's more of a modern issue. Suffice it to say, you can make a pretty good case in the Bible for there being people outside the garden, and certainly outside the first family. There seems to be an outer world, an outside world. And that explains why Cain was able to build a city. It also explains raid that those who found him might exact vengeance. Now, we won't get into these modern issues of human origins. The important thing to focus on is grace, the grace of God. So God is giving Cain every opportunity. He's just not reacting very well, not reacting well. At all. And it says in verse 16 that Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. Nod is another symbolic word. It means wandering. And we see that, yes, he's wandering, but not, not just because he's moving farther and farther away from, from the original primeval paradise. He's wandering in a spiritual way. Guilt has led to anxiety in his life. There's alienation and fear. He's wandering. How about us? How about you listening to this podcast? Are you wandering? Are we wandering spiritually or do we have direction? Are we driven by guilt and anxiety trying to compensate for something we know deep down is wrong? 
Are we living with a good conscience and integrity? Such an important scriptural theme. We relate to Adam and Eve, but we also relate to Cain. His sin, his ability to make excuses, and the experience of the grace of God. But we relate to him not just on the individual level, but even on the family level. Because Cain's descendants leave a wake of destruction and dysfunction that we have much to learn from. So let's uh, read the final part of our passage. In verse 17, we continue. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. Enoch was born Irad. Irad was the father of Mahujal. Mahujal was the father of Methushael. Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. There we have it. Jabal and Jubal. <laughs> he was the father of all who played the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. What we've just read is the lineage of Cain. And we'll read the lineage of Seth, whose son number three, in chapter five, as we lead off, as we begin the, the lesson next time. But we see a pattern in this family. It was there with Adam and Eve. We see it here with Cain as well. A pattern of disobedience, followed by denial, and you know, excuse-making and shuffling, Disobedience, denial, and then dislocation as they're sent out to wander. But notice the spiritual qualities of Cain's offspring. Well, the interesting thing is when you, when you look at these verses, you really don't see them. Not, not at all. Another thing you'll notice is that there's uh, one, uh, there's a, a, an Enoch, verse 17, a Lamech in verse 19. We look at the righteous genealogy. This is the unrighteous genealogy. The righteous genealogy in chapter 5, we'll also see a Lamech and an Enoch. But everything's in reverse. And so there are deep symbolisms, uh, uh, poetic structure here that we may not be aware of unless we slow down and read the account carefully. But it's a huge contrast between the righteous sons and the unrighteous sons. There is indeed a worldly legacy. There's a new lifestyle, the lifestyle of the nomad. We see uh, the development of tools, metallurgy, uh, forging all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron, and certainly this includes weapons. We see music. You know, we are indebted to secular culture. Not everything in Cain's descendants was bad. Not everything in our society is bad. We're indebted to the contributions, the developments of technology, and even godless men and women. We're indebted, uh, and in some ways what technology does is truly mind-blowing. And, and, and it is a blessing, but it's a mixed blessing. It's a mixed blessing. We have technology, but technology allows weapons. Let me, let me uh, p- point out a couple of the developments we see. In the original plan in 224, it's one man, one wife for life. Cain has a descendant named Lamech. He has uh, Enoch as his son, and um, 
and then uh, you have to go a few generations down to Lamech. Lamech is the first bigamist. So he's got two wives. God's plan was one wife. Lamech improves on it, and I say that sarcastically. He marries two women. What about vengeance? Well, in uh, the Lord had actually said uh, back in verse uh, 15, if anyone kills Cain, he'll suffer vengeance seven times over. I th- think that simply emphasizes justice. It's a symbolic number, of course. Notice what Lamech says. He says that he was fighting a young man who injured him. And so what did Lamech do? His response was not fair at all. It was retaliatory, but it was totally out of proportion. He kills the man. He kills him simply because he wounded him. And notice, if Cain is avenged seven times in Lamech, 77 times. Again, this is a development, uh, uh, an improvement, not an improvement at all. We see the, the same symbolic number in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus says, Uh, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. That's how often we should forgive our brother. Not a literal 77 times. But it simply suggests that uh, we need to be open and giving and and never, never turn off the grace. Always be willing to extend grace. What am I saying? When we look at the, the family of Cain, we see some positive things, but they're all technical, secular developments, metallurgy. Uh, the nomadic lifestyle, the ability to, to be on the move, to build a city, to live in tents. Uh, we, we see that uh, basically no spiritual bone in their body. And that society becomes more and more violent, as we'll see later in chapter 6. And ultimately, this is the trigger for the flood. I'm getting well ahead of, of the lesson series here. But why the flood? The flood comes because of Human sin, it becomes of, because of violence. And we live in a society that's very much inured to violence. We've been anesthetized. We don't react to it. But more on that later on. Just as Cain's family had some positive aspects, all of our families have some things that we can take pride in. There are positive contributions. But let's be honest, there are also tremendous dysfunctional patterns. Patterns that we see from generation to generation. And it's hard to break a pattern. It might be a pattern of anger or secrecy. Uh, ways we deal with anger. Ways we, we process negative feeling. Uh, secrets and, and suspicion. And, and, and sometimes the failure to communicate. Particularly fathers. If your father was not communicative with you, it's hard. It's hard to develop empathy. I know that. I'm working on that so hard and I feel like I'm failing so much. But as fathers, we've got to learn to communicate with children. In fact, with everybody. Patterns of marital strife, generation to generation. Of course, we're familiar with even more destructive patterns in some of our families. Patterns of alcoholism, uh, patterns of divorce or, or other uh, uh, of drug abuse. And these patterns are hard to break. Dysfunction. And we see that, that descendants do tend to take after their ancestors. And... That's, I think we have to be sober about that if we're going to break the cycle, if we're going to break the pattern. Well, when we look at the family of Cain, we see people who were able to master their world, but they couldn't master themselves. Yes, they could adapt and shape their environment. 
they, they, create, they led, uh, there were many technological developments, but on the personal front, they were bankrupt. They mastered the world, but didn't master themselves. Now, it doesn't end all negatively. As we finish off in verse 25, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, it was through the descendants of Seth, not Cain, that men began to turn to the Lord. And this will create the framework for chapter 5, which will be the beginning of next week's lesson. Okay, you want to learn more about Cain. He is mentioned in other passages in the New Testament. We see him in Hebrews 11.4, 1 John 3.12, Jude 1.11. Don't worry, all these notes are written down, and you'll find them at the website. Abel, we read about in Matthew 23.35, Luke 11.51, Hebrews 11.4, Hebrews 12.24. So they all own pair, a well-known uh, brother-brother combination. In teaching children, what is the heart of this lesson? If I were going to boil it down to just two points, maybe I would make two questions. And again, this would be suitable for a family devotional or even just a discussion. Question one, how did Cain accept correction? When the Lord challenged him on what he had done, what was his reaction? How did he take correction? And number two, how should he have taken the correction? Two very simple points. What about the key verses? Each lesson, I'm going to highlight a few verses. Key verses to know, and I think... The idea is really to know what's in all the passages, not not just a a few key verses. But this gives us a a framework, and it's kind of an indexing system, a way to remember. Ultimately, I believe the goal is to know what's in the whole Bible, more what's in every chapter of the Bible. It's not so much to memorize the verses. I'm not against scripture memory. I think that's a good thing. But if you can find your way around all the chapters of the Bible, knowing what's inside them, I think that's more useful and more practical in the long term. What would be the key verses? 4-7, that's where we read that uh, sin is crouching at the door. You know, it wants to desire, wants to master us. And, and later today, oh, there will be a, a time where sin is crouching at my door. It could be any kind of temptation. And we know it at the periphery of our conscience. We know there's an opportunity here to do right or to fall. To give in in how we treat other people, in moral choices we make, in whether we push hard or we procrastinate and are lazy. Sin is crouching at the door. A second verse would be verse 9. Where is your brother Abel? And his response, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Of course, we're not our brother's keeper in, in that we control our brother or that he, has, uh, he, he doesn't stand on his own feet. But in a way, we have to be more loving than that. We do have to look after each other. And that's a famous and important verse. And the third one is in verse 24. If Cain's avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And here we see revenge, the impulse for revenge, which is so strong uh, throughout the Old Testament. And uh, we'll, we'll come to that later on. So the key verses would be verses 7, 9, and 24. Let me say one other thing before we wrap up. I don't know what Bible version you're using, but I will say for most of us, if you've been reading the same Bible version for years, it's time to change the sheets. It's time to get a new new Bible. 
The Bible I'm studying this year, the Old Testament that is, is the Septuagint. What's that? The Septuagint is the Greek version that was translated by the Jews two centuries before Jesus. And it's appeared in English, in a more readable English version. Uh, and that was translated in 2007. And so that's what I'm reading every morning. Actually, I finished Genesis a couple days ago. I'm in Exodus now. I'll be a little bit ahead of the lessons. If you want a Bible with more of a Semitic feel, more of a Jewish feel, you might consider the Fox translation in the Shokin series or the Jewish Publication Society, the Tanakh. Uh, you'll see all of this in the notes at the website. A more traditional version, the English Standard Version. It's uh, one of the Bibles I read last year. And uh, it was very good, very formal, very traditional. The Holman Christian Standard Bible. Very good Bible. Uh, very readable. Very useful. The NET, the New English Translation. Again, all of this will be in the notes. Well, I hope you've learned something from our study today on Cain and Abel. And that, again, we're not distancing ourselves from these characters, but we're realizing that uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Next time, we'll look at Noah. And as we introduce that lesson, we'll look at Seth, we'll look at Enoch, we'll look at uh, the characters in chapter 5, but particularly Noah and the flood. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Cain and Abel. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.